Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Contractor Revolution. This is your host, Benji. Let's get started. For many contractors, financial clarity can be elusive. Needless to say, none of us got into business for ourselves to stare at QuickBooks, spreadsheets, or P&Ls, but the dangers of ignoring this indispensable side of our business are no laughing matter, right? Does it sound fun to you to lay off good people because you can't afford them anymore, or funneling personal dollars into a business account so you can run payroll, or filing for bankruptcy? I mean, this is what's at stake here. Don't be a financial freewheeler. That's one of our mantras here at Breakthrough Academy. And it's on that exact note that I am extremely excited to welcome Bob Gavro to the show today. Bob is the founder of Gavro Accounting, a 100-person accounting, bookkeeping, tax, and legal firm that specializes in the contracting niche. And I got to say this, in a world full of lame financial gurus and quasi-experts with half-baked advice, it is actually very hard to find a true master of their craft. And Bob is exactly that. So today's conversation is about the four easiest ways to improve the financial health of your business headed into what could be a rocky year. Uh, Bob is an unbelievable wealth of knowledge and extremely articulate. So without further ado, let's dive in. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Bob, welcome to Contractor Evolution. How are you? Benji, I'm doing great, my man. You're looking sharp. You've got a great setup, a good microphone. This is uh, this is a bonus. Um, <laughs> man, thanks for being here. I want to start with uh, kind of an easy one. How would you describe uh, the state of affairs around the bookkeeping and accounting practices, systems, rituals for the average North American contractor today? Oh, man. <laughs> Is disaster a good adjective to uh, to throw in there? You know what? It's interesting. There's a fairly uh, a fairly good amount of contractors who are dialed in and when they're dialed in their information's up to date it's accurate it's reliable and they know what it means and so when i say there's a decent amount i'm going to say there's probably a 10% of that entire market um that has that uh, a lot of people aren't even in the digital space yet you know they're still doing things in excel um and then there's the the other 90% of the market that honestly, man, it's uh, it's a disaster, and and I say this because we're committed to helping people get that cleaned up. And um, one of the things we see when we bring on new clients so often is, you know, one one of a few things. One, um, they believe that their information is good, and then we look at it, and it's an absolute mess. Um, you know, things haven't been reconciled. There's missing pieces. So what they're relying on is just inaccurate and unreliable. So they're making decisions based on bad information. And then the other part of the crowd is a group that hasn't had any financial, uh, dashboard or any financial information to make decisions on. And it's like a year outdated. Um, and a lot of people are in that situation, but you know, I want to say, it's okay. You know, it's okay. We've got a choice to fix that. And it's okay. Move forward. Because a lot of times people come in and they're a little bit embarrassed about it. It's like, guys, 90% uh -huh. of the market is in this space where you, where you are, let's just fix it so that going forward, you can make informed decisions and, uh, and have reliable financial data. 
I don't want to pick on our audience too much because I do that way too often on this show. Like, is, I, because I, I have a feeling this is not just a, this is not just like contractors. Is, is this not a more broad pattern with, with small business, generally speaking? Totally. And, and it's definitely not picking on contractors. Although I feel like contractors might more openly talk about it, which is a good thing. Um, right. Like it's something that they're a little bit more open with. I've got another market that we serve. That's uh, a professional services group and the professional services group, you know, the data related to them is very, very similar where I would say it's actually worse. A lot of those professional services companies aren't on a digital platform yet. So they're managing their business by their bank account, which is so not a good idea as a business owner. Like you start adding and building a team and you're managing your business by your bank account, you're going to get lost and you're going to have you're going to have some financial crisis at some point as you continue to build and grow. Is there a what kind of gap exists around the education on this subject matter for small business people? I've I've kind of talked about this on webinars and from stage from time to time like one of the things that I'm I've observed and I just think you could put a finer point on it than me is how unbelievably ill-equipped the average 25 year old 30 year old is entrepreneur or not just on like basic personal finance uh filing taxes uh investment, understanding, understanding interest rates, like just like the, the, how does real estate fit into all this? Like when it comes to financial education, there seems to be some really systemic issues around what we're taught and not taught. Like what, what do you see on that front out, out there in the market? Yeah. And one thing I would say is I think our education system has let us all down when it comes to this. And you know, I, I get different emojis and, and images sent to me around tax time every year. And it says, oh, I'm so glad I learned about a parallelogram, uh, but I have no idea how to file my taxes. You know, that parallelogram study was really helpful. But, you know, as a really great metaphor to our education system, not educating us when it comes to finances and even basic understanding of, you know, like debt and how debt works and how it can work and how to do a simple budget. You know, I think a lot of us uh, approach this where we get into business and we're just excited because we, we've built something that's incredible and uh, or we're really passionate about serving a market and we just start running with it and no one's ever really given us the education on the financial side. And I can tell you, you know, in my undergraduate, which I took in, in business, um, even in my undergraduate degree, I think there was only one like accounting related course that talked about financial numbers in a business. And that was business school, mm. you know, which is really underwhelming mm. um, because 90% of the people who were in that accounting class had no idea what was going on, which is really where I decided I was going to go into that as a profession because uh, I just happened to be good at it. But really, I think as a business and as a business owner, our education is so limited um, and there's so few people talking about it out there. Now, there's a few people like a, a Dave Ramsey mm -hmm. uh, who talks about, you know, no debt, uh, don't borrow, you know, put all your money away. And that's really great for, you know, a, a moderate income individual who's got sort of fixed income standards. But as a business owner, that's not a model we can follow. So, you know, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. I feel like there's a lot of lack of being informed altogether. But there's an opportunity for us as business owners to stand out uh, 
above everybody else by just having a small amount of knowledge or at least having, you know, a team of experts who can help support us? I think about it like this. The the average North American just coming out of the system is, is pretty underprepared and under-tooled to manage their own the basic personal finance equation, like the stuff you mentioned, understanding debt, understanding tax, income minus minus spend equals either, you know, savings or debt, depending on which one is bigger, you know, simple stuff. But if, if most people aren't really up to speed on that, and then you sort of step into the entrepreneurial journey where the scale of the inflows and outflows are way, way larger and way faster, um, the complexity of the chart of accounts is way longer. The decision-making framework therein becomes deeply complex. Like it's no shock that people two years into their business, five years into the business have this real, oh, moment. And most of them do where it's like, I don't have a freaking clue how any of this stuff works. And it's, it's kind of too late to ask because I'm like, I'm buried in this thing. And I think that's, you, you bring up an interesting comment where it's like people feel embarrassed about it. There is some emotional like vulnerability to this whole piece. I think people are scared to admit, um, at the age of whatever they're at that, Hey, I'm actually like totally, totally, um, in the dark here when it comes to the numbers in my business. Yeah. And you know, I would say it's one of those things where it's part of our identity too, where, you know, we start to build a business, we start to have some level of success and the idea of our finances not being in order or even us understanding what our financial situation looks like is embarrassing because people are looking at us and holding us to a higher standard. Yeah. And it almost becomes really tough to, to talk about that because, we're going no this is the uh, this is the image that we're portraying we're we're strong and we're financially sufficient and we've got all this money in our bank account when you know we clearly see so many business owners even if they are making money and growing their business they're running low on cash resources and running low on profitability and they don't understand why but but we put our heads in the sand right because it's like well what all we have to do is just go sell some more you know get more team members on here we're going to be great right? Where that could be perpetuating some of the challenges when we keep reinvesting in, in growing and scaling. And, you know, back to the education side, we've actually partnered with an organization called Junior Achievement. And uh, Junior Achievement is this great, essentially supplementary uh, income program where this, this group goes in and teaches elementary and high school students about financial literacy, mm. uh, because again, we're missing out on, on that. They also teach them about entrepreneurship, because I know, you know, for all of us business owners who went through high school, nobody said, hey, you know what you should be as an entrepreneur or a business owner. They said, oh, no, you should, you know, you should either go in and you should be building homes or you should be a doctor or a lawyer or a nurse or a teacher. You know, everybody puts us in those those holes, but they don't educate us about, you know, what that could look like or what building homes could eventually turn into in being an entrepreneurial venture. Nobody taught you how to make money at it. They just said, this is how you swing the hammer. And that's challenging, right? You start to have some form of success and we've never really had the foundation to build. And, you know, again, I think there's a major opportunity and I want people to know that they're not alone in this, if they're feeling financially frustrated because they've got some form of success, but they're feeling frustrated because they don't know their financial situation, you know, people can help. And, uh, and you're definitely not alone. That is way more the majority 
of anyone in this space and in all entrepreneurial spaces than, than those that really have confidence. Uh, this idea of some of the fear, the stigma around it, I can actually share an interesting kind of anecdote from the, the Breakthrough Academy universe. So, you know, when we begin working with a business, every company goes through what we call a business assessment. It's actually the it's actually like the second or the third meeting that we'll do with some. We'll do kind of like a warm up call. We'll do a proper thirty minute discovery call. Then we'll do like a full blown business assessment. And in 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 these assessments, there's a whole uh, there's a whole criterion of, of of sort of questions and data points and things that we want to know about about the business. To, for a couple of reasons. One, we want to make sure that we can help them. So there, there's, there really is just like a genuine like fit consideration. The second is to make sure that they indeed are ready to take this on. Uh, you know, depending on the program you choose in Breakthrough Academy, it's it's you know a couple thousand bucks a month. Um, it's 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 a time investment. It's it's certainly like we are not going to wave a magic wand and, and fix all your problems for you. But we do have the tools. We do have the coaching. We do have the community to really, really speed up the process if you're just kind of like lost in the dark. So the, we, we go through these assessments and we ask hard questions and we obviously ask a lot about financials. Now, I would say there are, you know, we'll add about, uh, we usually add around 300 new members a year to the program. Uh, and I would say there's between 10 and 20 who, this happens every year, who six months into the program are actually admitting for the first time to us that, they maybe weren't 100% honest back in that business assessment about where their business is at. And actually, I forgot to mention, we do actually have 500K in debt. And actually, I forgot to mention our gross profit is 12%. Not their net, their gross, right? Like, wow. oh, and, and by the way, like, we're actually just like barely surviving here. And there are these, you know, we have a channel for this. We have an SOS channel in Breakthrough Academy where it's like, this business needs like, this is like an all hands on deck thing for this business. As, so anyway, I, we have a whole bunch of amazing success stories here, but we've brought a whole bunch of businesses back from the brink and they're always up on stage at awards night a year later talking about it. So th th there's there's a really interesting kind of upside to this, but I share that to say this, the fear of being of sort of admitting this is so is so pronounced that even in a safe space with professionals like Breakthrough Academy, business owners are still kind of sheepish about admitting it. Um, so... It, it's it's just, yeah, it's an interesting thing. You're not alone. Uh, this is a very, very widespread problem. I wonder if you can comment on, um, is there anything uniquely hard about financial tracking, about bookkeeping, about accounting? Is there anything that makes staying on top of your numbers for contractors like uniquely difficult compared to other type, genres of business, compared to a restaurant, compared to a law firm? compared to a daycare, whatever, like, is there something uniquely challenging about this vertical? Yeah, and I would say there's, there's probably multiple. Um, and I could pull up a few one being that there tends to be depending on the type of contractor, right? If you're building homes, for example, um, you might only have a few projects on the go at all times, right? Um, or throughout the year. But if you're an electrician, um, or you someone who's building decks or fences, yeah, you might have hundreds of them on the go at one time. So, you know, tracking project profitability, I think is definitely a unique, um, a unique opportunity, I'll say, um, and a unique challenge in the contractor space, because what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're understanding the profits from different projects and learn from them to say, 
you know, what actually worked and what went well. How did we plan this properly? How did we, you know, how did we better buy our materials? How did we create greater efficiencies versus the one where we got our ass handed to us? Um, and we lost because there was scope creep and there were change orders that we didn't bill for, you know, that becomes really important. So we refer to that as essentially back costing and, and saying, how did the project actually do after the fact? How can we learn from this? How can we improve on it? Um, so that, that would be one thing I think unique is, is being able to track some of the project costing. Uh, the other element I would say is that, you know, as contractors and tradespeople, we've, we've been taught to build this business with our hands. So a lot of times we shy away from, you know, the administrative side of keeping up with our finances because we would rather just go build something. And, you know, when we don't make that a priority, it, it doesn't go away, but the longer that we ignore it, the more it becomes a pain in the ass to get it fixed. Right. And, and that becomes with, you know, any real business, when we shy away from a certain area that we know we have to do, like follow up on sales calls, you know, yeah, it's really great to get on a, a call and close a deal right away. But if it requires follow up, we may be shy away from that a little bit. It's the same with our finances. You know, we shy away from it because it's not making us money um, directly, but it is going to give us the the information and the foundation to understand how to make good decisions going forward. So I would say contractors, they tend to shy away from it. Uh, it's numbers. It's not something that they know um, and they don't necessarily want to do it. Uh, and sometimes when they bring in an individual who's doing the bookkeeping, sometimes it's, you know, a spouse, uh, a family member, uh, someone who is an administrative person, you just kind of task them with doing bookkeeping related services. They also maybe don't want to make that a priority because they don't really know what they're doing. So they push that off as well. Um, so it, it does become something that isn't focused on predominantly in this space. Should we talk wardrobe for a second? Let's um, do it. Okay. This is a very sick outfit that I'm wearing. I mean, you, you look nice too, but I'm talking about my well, thank you, shirt sir. here. So, um, okay. Wardrobe provided today by the Great Canadian Landscaping Company. So the GCLC... Uh, as we'll say for short, is a design, build, and maintenance uh, and snow removal company in North Van. Been in business for 24 years. It's owned by uh, a friend of ours named Chris O'Donohue. So Chris was one of the OG, like one of the very, very first Breakthrough Academy members. They did Breakthrough Academy for four years, had some financial challenges, had some personal challenges, took a bit of a break, came back very recently, actually just this past fall, and he's he's at, he's back in with another OG crew. So he's really excited to be back. We're happy to have him back. He works with Coach Brody, and uh, so when we do these kind of these wardrobe bits, I always ask for one big challenge and then one big win. So for Chris, one big challenge he's working on this year. I'm just going to read it in his words. We were texting this morning, uh, allowing my leadership team to run our Vancouver division while I take on the business development for our two areas of expansion which is Squamish and the Sunshine Coast. Those are two kind of uh, smaller communities here, here in the West Coast of BC. We have the leaders in place to take the Great Canadian Landscaping Company to new levels, and this allows me to focus on other aspects, but geographic expansion is hard. And then uh, big win. 
Uh, I would say the most recent one was choosing to hire a general manager and promote three staff to leadership roles, a senior estimator, a senior landscape construction manager, and a senior landscape maintenance manager. Getting the right people in the right seat has been a huge win for our company. Letting go of control and providing the opportunities for a team to lead has proven to be very successful thus far. And 2024 is shaping up to be a great year. Any any comment or any advice for, any any advice for Chris on any of those pieces? For sure. So, um, as someone who's built a business myself, so I've got about a hundred employees now, which is awesome, terrifying, uh, and all of the above. The big thing that you're going to continue to see, especially once everybody's on a different location, is you want to be really tight on accountability and making sure that everyone on your team knows exactly what's required for them to be successful and how they can contribute to the success of the organization. Because between multiple locations and trying to give oversight, you know, it's going to become extremely challenging to have your hands in on everything. So you need those general managers, those team members to be very clear on it so that every single week you can look and say, yep, we've accomplished um, these objectives. Second, I would say is one of the greatest tools that businesses have that we as small business owners don't really utilize is budgets. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you think of every successful Inc 500 or Global Mail fastest growing company, they're all using a budget forecast system to say, this is where we're going. We're building the map out. This is where we're going and benchmarking it along the way to say, have we achieved those goals? If not, what do we have to do to get back on track? And if we have what's working really well so that we can double down on it. And for small business owners, this is such a powerful tool because it gives us transparency over our pathway to that success. So if you are continuing to expand in your business, that is what I would focus on. Accountability for everybody and making sure that your targets are well outlined. What do you What do you see as some of the challenges? This geographic expansion piece is really interesting mm. and we're pumped for Chris to do this. I literally was in Squamish in July. And I was, and I was, we were actually interviewing another member in Squamish and I, and I was in like a, you know, sort of a industrial park and I saw a great Canadian landscaping and I was like, what the hell? They're in Squamish now. So it's funny (laughs) this has come full circle, but, um, what have you seen some of the really big challenges when it comes to financial tracking, when people become geographically diffuse? Like there are now, there are now little like nodes to the system, little satellite operating businesses over here and over here. Anything that you've seen funny, any mistakes to avoid when it comes to financials, when that happens? Yes. And and if I could take two minutes to just explain a bit of a, a financial model, and then I can walk right sure. into that. So For every financial model, and if we think of the income or profit and loss in a business, it's got three components. One is revenue, which we know that's our money coming in. So we'll not focus on that one. But the two other ones are one is variable costs or costs of goods sold or or any direct costs. So all of those costs in that element of the business, those are all costs directly incurred to deliver the revenue. Right. So as revenue goes up, more projects go up. We need more materials. We need more labor. It should scale in line. Right. Revenue goes up, direct costs go up. The third element is fixed expenses. So this is our our rent, our insurance, um, maybe administrative salaries, um, maybe some of our dues and subscriptions that don't really go up and down based on revenue. They're relatively fixed and flat. So why I wanted to bring this up is as we expand to three locations, 
we hope that our revenue and, and our direct costs are continuing to go up. But as we expand into those locations, we know that our fixed costs are going to go and, and explode a little bit, right? Because we've got more commitments to physical location. Uh, we've likely got insurance on those locations. Um, and we've got additional costs based on having that you know facility in place. So what we want to be really careful of is understanding what our break-even point is what our sales targets need to be to be able to cover all of those fixed expenses. So again, when we're looking at expanding to these multiple locations, we know our fixed expenses are going to go up. Just be aware of it and make sure that we're planning accordingly. I I hear you're kind of saying people underestimate how big of a chunk play that is when you're adding when like how, how much of an actual increase that's going to be on the fixed cost side of things. And that's now a new hurdle that that new satellite operation needs to get well above in order to feed itself and then trickle down to a bottom line. I love it. Totally. Okay, Chris, thank you for the shirt and the hat. Uh, he's in Costa Good Rica luck, right Chris. now. Awesome, man. Yeah. Love it. If you are a listener and you want to work with really cool contractors like Chris, there's like 600 other amazing entrepreneurs just like him. Uh, check out Breakthrough Academy. I'll put a link somewhere below. www.b, like Benji, t, like Thomas, academy.com. All right. So this episode, I wanted to do kind of a, I don't know what we're going to call it yet. Something around like financial health hacks. I don't know. I want to just, I want to, we're moving into, as we're filming, this is January of 2024. It's actually February 1st. So this will come out in the next month or so. Uh, It's still early in the year. I want to talk to you about, and we were prepping this offline, like there's four really big needle movers when you think about the health uh, the financial health uh, of a of a contracting business. And so we talked about these ideas of being up to date. We talked about accuracy, cash flow management, and then business structure. Those are the four. And I just want to kind of knock them off, spend a few minutes on each in that order. I'll just kind of lob this to you and just ha- have you open up the whole idea of being up to date and why that's so important. Yeah, and I'll, I'll walk you through an example. So um, we had a, a contractor that we had met with a few weeks back, and we opened up his financials. And, and actually, this was cool because it was it was theirs. I, I remoted through Zoom and took over control of his screen. So he knew that I hadn't had an opportunity to manipulate anything. So it was very raw and real. And, uh, and I jumped into his screen, and I started pulling up financial reports. And I asked him, I said, okay, um, you know, these look like they're fairly up to date. Tell me how your system works. And he goes, Oh, I've got a cousin. She comes in every week. She reconciles everything. I'm like, great. So we were chatting about it and I could start to see holes in patterns, which gave me a concern, right? Because if there's holes and the pattern isn't the way that it should be, it means that information's missing. And when information's missing, it means they're unreliable. And at first glance, they look good, but I started to have my suspicions. So I could see the patterns had gone all the way back. So this was, you know, a few weeks ago, we're going back all the way to January of 2023. And I said to him, okay, so your, your cousin comes in and reconciles this. Can we validate that? Like, are you cool if we do? Cause the reconciliation is really the check, right? The check that says everything that's in the system is being matched up to the activity going through the bank accounts, right? And, and credit cards. So all of those transactions are being recorded which means that all of the expenses are in because a huge risk 
in business is that the expenses aren't all in. We think we're doing really well, but we're <laughs> Surprise! not. Surprise! <laughs> Surprise, yeah. So so I jumped in and I, I looked at the reconciliation date and it was back to January of 2023. So you immediately kind of freaked out. And I said, unfortunately, you know, you're showing that you have this $400,000 profit in your business. But when we got down to it, he had about a, a $50,000 net income. He was wondering where his cash went. And the idea of it being up to date, it seemed up to date, but it wasn't reliable. So the power of reliability is so important in your business because he was making decisions based on false information. It seemed to be up to date, which was good. And a lot of times better than most because it's not up to date at all but it wasn't completely reliable. So he was making poor decisions uh, just because he was using false information. Why is this whole um, being three months behind on your numbers, six months behind on your numbers, heaven forbid a year plus behind on your numbers, why do you think that's so widespread? I, I just maybe think that one, uh, there's, there's fear. Uh, people don't really wanna know. I think there's an element of that where it's like, uh, I don't really want to know. I, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't, I don't want to know where I'm failing uh, or where I'm struggling. I think there's a, an element of it where people just don't understand it. So they're like, well, even if it is up to date, what does that mean well, what for I do me? With I, the information if yeah, I, had like it. I, yeah. I don't really right. have a knowledge base to use this information. So I guess it's, it's irrelevant. Um, so those are, you know, some major challenges but, you know, talking about the being not up to date, I had a, another client a couple of years ago and, you know, I encouraged him to have monthly meetings with our bookkeeping team and he was adamant. No, 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 it's fine. And he had a super solid business. He was actually a butcher shop and super solid business made about $300,000 a year, every single year. And that particular year was the year where fuel costs had gone up. And we got to the end of the year, and, and this was this business was stable for years, by the way. Uh, fuel costs went up, and I got to the end of the year, and oh my God, he had lost money. He was out of cash, was really questioning, like, why am I out of cash? It doesn't make sense. Fuel costs had gone up, so which meant all of his purchases had a fuel surcharge attached to it. He didn't recognize that increase because he wasn't reviewing his financials regularly. So what happened is profit margins went from being nice to diminished. And when we talk about that model, revenue minus direct costs minus fixed costs equals net income, well, his fixed costs stayed the same, but his profit mm -hmm. that he was Got earning squeezed. from his sales diminished, right? So it dropped way down. And next thing you know, his business is in a, in a challenging situation. So we had to go through a price restructuring for him, make sure that he got back on track and, and his business recovered. But that's the power of not having up-to-date information, right? We kind of put our head in the sand and we carry on with business like everything's okay because there's money in the bank uh, until there's not. And then it becomes really scary and we don't really know what to do without that information. What is your definition of up-to-date? I mean, like when, when we talk about like you, you, sort of the Bob Gavreau best practice, like this is what I'm, this is the ideal, this is what I'm shooting for with all my clients. What, what do you consider as quote-unquote up-to-date? Yeah, so our bookkeeping team, we have about 40 full-time bookkeepers who work with, I'm going to say about 300, 350 clients and do payroll, you know, all of the bookkeeping, all the reconciliation. Our goal is to have everything up to date with a financial report within 30 days of a year end or of the month end. So for example, we hit January 31st right now. 
which was yesterday. By the end of February, the business owners should all have a profit and loss report that is accurate and reliable so they know exactly what's going on. Mm. Because if we if we don't have this for six months, right, if something has gone sideways in our business right now, if our employee costs have got out of control, which has definitely been an issue over the last couple of years with raises and and people demanding more money and and the cost of materials going up. If we don't know that for six months, we could jeopardize our business substantially. So we need to know within 30 days. Now, in in an even more ideal world, Benji, I would have it where, you know, it's 15 days. But mm. for for us, for our clients, we go, okay, by the end of of the month, you're going to have a P&L report to see exactly what's going on in your business. And what what would be the systematic, ritualistic, process-oriented approach to getting to a place like that? I mean, um, y- you guys can only work with so many clients, but so 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 if someone was listening to this, uh, and maybe they're not they're not ready to work with you, or maybe they're in a market that you don't serve, or whatever, like, can you just give us kind of like the bullet point approach to fixing this problem? What like what are, what are they doing with their own bookkeeper? What tools are they using? What habits are they starting to adopt to get to a place where they can see everything, you know, thirty days after the fact, or right at the end of the month? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, just regardless of the industry that you're in, there typically should be some sort of you know, point of sale billing solution where we're invoicing clients out of. Um, so typically, we'll start with that, right? As having some sort of digital platform. I know um, for us in the contractor space, we we work with a bunch of them, dozens of different softwares, dependent upon the contractor industry, um, which are great. So that's all of our billings are going out. You know, here's a side note: make sure your billings are up to date, guys. We do not want to not bill our clients. Uh, in fact, we want to try and collect cash upfront on a lot of these projects. We do not want to be chasing people six months later. The moment the job is done, the likelihood of you collecting money drops because they've lost that dopamine Excitement. effect of needing, you know, like the you they don't need you anymore. The job is done, right? So, so let's make sure we're billing. So back to this, have a billing platform where you can do this, where you can communicate with your clients, you can accept all forms of payment. Let's get paid for what we do. Typically, we have that connected to a digital bookkeeping or a cloud-based bookkeeping platform. Our go-to partner is QuickBooks Online. Uh, QuickBooks Online is a monthly subscription where all of the back-end bookkeeping is, is done. Now, typically, if you've got a modern point-of-sale system, it connects to QuickBooks. So all your sales, receivables, everything comes in there. So as we're collecting payments from our customers, we can match that up to bank statements and whatnot. So it starts with the platform and having a good system. We also like HubDoc for, it's like a digital filing system uh, where you can put all your invoices and receipts as you receive them. Typically, we have that coming in, you know, an automatic email receipt that goes right into HubDoc. It connects to QuickBooks, but your bookkeeper, you know, whether it's us or not, has access to HubDoc, and this is your resource document. It's your online filing cabinet. So all the details go in there, which is great because contractors and accountants uh, as well aren't very good at taking you know the, the fuel expense and they put it on their nightstand and then their spouse takes it and throws it in the garbage. Uh, happens all the time, right? Um, so if we can get that digitally, you know, you have your fuel receipt, you take a picture of it, automatically goes to HubDoc. You don't have to worry about the manual 
receipts anymore or your spouse getting mad at you that you leave stuff around all the time. You can chuck the Learn. receipt. You've taken the photo. You can, you, can... you can chuck it. Yeah, you've got a digital. That that's The app fully, you like is uh, called HubDoc? HubDoc is good. There's a bunch of them, but that's the one that we okay. predominantly use. Cool. Yeah. So that gets all of our receipts in. And then what you want to have is you want to have somebody who's qualified in understanding how the bookkeeping works and understands how to reconcile. You know, the reconciliation process, like I said, it's really our safety check to make sure that everything is in place. And we want to make sure, and if it's not our team, you know, hopefully you've got somebody who's got experience with that. And hopefully they can continue to grow and scale and they can bring in administrative support to help them. But we need to make sure that those are reconciled. And again, on a timely basis, I'd say within 30 days so that you can see exactly what's going on. And then, you know, maybe lastly, regardless of the bookkeeper, you want to make sure you have a good CPA partner who at the end of the year goes through, just validates everything, sources and make sure all of your assets, liabilities are reported properly. Because sometimes there's some adjustments at the end of the year from an accountant level versus a bookkeeper level where there's just a, a different level of sophistication. So you want to have a good partner who understands your industry and your tax opportunities in that space as well so that you can pull the whole package together. We ask this question a lot to sort of industry experts like you. As an entrepreneur, you have your own team that you have hired or you subcontract to. And then there's also this whole other behind the scenes team, which is advisors and professional services and people that you choose to partner with to complete certain functions of your business. And th those decisions are like really, really critical. And um, the fact of the matter is, you know, an accountant is not an accountant is not like, like there's, there's variance. There's such a thing as talent. There's such a thing as a standard of excellence. There's such a thing as, um, adopting best practices, staying up to date, etc. Just like the same thing when you go to like a chiropractor, some chiropractors are unbelievable and can literally fix your life. Some are total quacks. I'll admit that. Like, when it comes to uh, any thoughts specifically for contractors who are looking to partner with a really, really good quality CPA, anything that they should be looking for, questions they should be asking, things that they should be paying special attention to, to make a decision and really select the right per partner and more importantly, avoid the, avoid the wrong one. Yeah. And I, you know what, I think, I don't want to say that there were too many advantages to, to COVID, but I think COVID allowed us to reevaluate the relationship that we have with our professional services team yeah. where, you know, it used to be felt where you had to be, you had to go to the guy across the street because it was just convenient. You could go over, have a coffee or whatever. Um, but COVID redesigned that where people had to meet online and, and go, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be the guy across the street. Maybe it's the guy who has the most experience in my space. Um, so what I would look for would be, yep, you want to make sure that, you know, if you're a home builder, that somebody has experience in home building um, so that they understand some of the tax incentives that are available, you know, in Canada, talking about some of the the HST rebates that have been available related to anything uh, on a development side. So looking at that sort of specialized knowledge, I would ask them, you know, what sort of technology they're familiar with? Are they familiar with, you know, a jobber, for example, have they used it? Are they using a QuickBooks online or are they doing everything by paper or old school desktop sort of software? Because it becomes challenging for them to give you advice or for them to even invest in keeping up to date with modern technology so that they can support you with making it better. Because a lot of times the advice is, 
oh yeah, just send us your box full of stuff and we'll do your taxes for you. Um, so th- that's not necessarily the, the approach anymore. I don't, I don't feel as you as a business owner. And then the other side I would say is, are they being proactive in helping look into the future versus just being reactionary? Are we looking at the future to say, here's some advice going forward. Uh, let me help guide you. Uh, if you just structured this in a different way, we could save you tax money. Um, and then I would also say, what is their what does their team of experts look like? Because a general practitioner, um, which is which is me for the most part, a general practitioner needs specialists surrounding them, and we've brought in specialists as well. And one specifically that everybody should be looking for is a team of tax specialized experts who look at your business structure and say, how can we save them more tax money? How can we protect their wealth in a better way? And how can we set them up for wealth accumulation in an exponential way versus just, okay, just send us your box of stuff and we'll get your taxes filed. Love it. The um, the second big needle mover that we were talking about is accuracy. And so I, I it just seems sort of weird to me that like the, that this is on the list. You sort of you would take that as a given, but I guess it's not. What are the main causes of inaccurate books? Yeah, again, I would say um, one of the biggest things is not reconciling the accounts. And so they're just skipping that there, step altogether. They just they just skip it or don't even know that that's necessary. Mm. So let me explain what happens when that when that occurs, right? So when we when we have transactions that go through our bank account, or right, let's use credit card, for example. So I'm constantly using my American Express uh, to put through my business expenses, which is great, right? I get my points. Um, and one area that we didn't even talk about was credit building earlier. Um, and man, oh man, if you're starting out in this space, make sure you get yourself a credit card, get your business a credit card so that you can start building credit. Um, otherwise you're never going to get, you know, that operating line or that business loan because there's no credit history. Now let's pay it off every month because nobody should be paying that, that interest on those. But, um, so we're going through, I, I put in all my business expenses through, through my credit card. But if, if I'm not reconciling, there could be some that I maybe didn't give a receipt for or somebody didn't know about. And when I'm putting these expenses on, and they could be fairly substantial, God knows that us as business owners, you know, we go and we put a $5,000 travel, uh, you know, in there without telling anybody because, you know, it's our little secret. We throw those, those elements in there and nobody knows about it. So we miss the deductibility of that. Because what we should be doing is getting the statement and saying, okay, all of these transactions that have actually gone through here, we have to make sure they're recorded. Because if I just look at my QuickBooks Online, for example, and I didn't get a receipt related to that, I don't know it even exists. Right. So we match the source of all the transactions to what's in the system, and we identify any discrepancies. And one of the challenges, even, even when there is a reconciliation done, if people aren't experienced enough, what you'll see in a reconciliation is that there's duplicate transactions. So for example, I talk about our travel, my $5,000 travel expense. Well, I hand in my receipt this time, it gets recorded. Then the bookkeeper goes through and they also record the transactions that are on the American Express card. So now they've been entered twice. So when I do a reconciliation, I see, okay, they're matching, great. But now there's an extra transaction in there. And inside the reconciliation process, after everything's been matched up, there's sometimes this list of duplicate transactions that nobody deals with. 
Um, the accountants typically deal with it at the end of the year. So, you know, if everything's reconciled for you and your business, and then all of a sudden your accountant makes these mad swings, it's probably because there were a lot of duplicate transactions mm-hmm. that were put through. That messes up your sales tax. So now you owe more money. Um, it all of a sudden uh, makes it that you are more profitable. So you owe more tax money. Um, it doesn't change your cash flow because you're probably having a whole bunch of questions of why your cash flow doesn't match your profitability. So, you know, experience and knowledge of what to do in there on a regular basis is so very important that we don't want to just give this to, you know, an administrative support person who's never had any experience in it and just say, learn it. Um, it becomes a little challenging. So outsourcing bookkeeping guys, I got to tell you, you know, yes, we are, we do that, but outsourcing your bookkeeping could be one of the easiest things you ever do. It'll give you the information that you need to support your business and you could avoid all of those challenges in, you know, inaccurate information that you're making decisions with. There, It's money well spent. Um, is this accuracy thing or inaccuracy thing typically the fault of the bookkeeper or the owner or some combination of the two? I would say... I would say that that is typically a fault of the bookkeeper, um, an accuracy side. So when we get into the business owner, sort of this is their challenge. One, they've either put someone in there um, who who shouldn't be in there doing that work, or two, they've never made it a priority and it's not up to date. You know, typically what we see is the the business owner will either say, "Yeah, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. We'll deal with it at the end of the year," or "Yep, somebody's got to be in there and has got to be doing this." but they don't necessarily know what they're doing. At least they've got it up to date, but man, it'd be easy to do a check and a reconciliation with the right skill set in there to know how to do it. Let's talk about cash flow. Um, this is obviously, I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe you can cite this for me. Some wa- some vast majority of businesses go under, and everyone's heard this before, but not because they're unprofitable. They actually are profitable businesses, but they get into these really monstrous cash crunch situations that they simply can't get out of and they file for bankruptcy. What what would you say about the whole cash flow management picture for this niche that we're talking about? And um, and then maybe we can get get into some solutions from there. Yeah, well, first, let me let me answer, Benji. So some of the statistics, only because I watched this, because cash flow is really is the lifeblood of a business, right? Um, it, 92% of businesses that fail, so if we think of the statistic, 50% of businesses fail during a five-year period, and and sorry, it's 82. 82% of those businesses that do fail, fail because they run out of money. Not because they don't have a good product or a good reputation or a great team, but because they just run out of cash resources to carry forward. And there's been lots of stories in history too of very successful high growth businesses just running out of cash. They just can't keep up. Um, So that's a challenge. And then there's another staggering statistic that always bothers me. So those businesses that that are successful, over 80% of those businesses, and hey, I've been here too, uh, struggle from week to week on cash in the bank. So thinking of that, 80% of businesses struggle to think of where the money's going to come from to hit next payroll. Mm-hmm. And that's a staggering statistic for me because, man, the financial stress that we all put ourselves in to be in that position where we're having to worry about, okay, let's collect the money today so that we can make sure everybody gets paid. That's a challenge. And that's a 
you know, that's a financial stress and and one that only gets harder as we continue to grow if we don't solve the problem. And, and, and talk about a colossal waste of your bandwidth and cortisol oh. levels. And like, is that ah. really where you like you're, you're, you're you need to be thinking through strategy, building a culture, building a team and you're and you're wasting some wild, some massive percentage you only have so much good cognitive juice every week. You know what I mean? And if some yeah. massive amount of it is getting diverted to collecting money so that you can make payroll, what is it, what else isn't being looked after in your business? Totally. And, and add in the anxiety and stress of thinking, if I don't make this payroll, what, what happens? Yeah. You know, like put that pressure on yourself and then try and deal with running a business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it, it's huge and you're totally right. So, yeah, we need to find solutions that will help solve that problem. And, and so so what like what is your sort of like prescription? Uh, like, I don't know if there's three or four, just like maybe go through like the list of like, hey, this is low hanging fruit. That's going to really help you with with cash flow management. And I can't believe more contractors don't do this. Totally. So I'll start rhyming them off and yeah. uh, and I'll pick my favorite ones. And okay. You know, the easiest one to implement, guys, and it's still shocking to me that more people don't do it, is accept all forms of payment. You know, when you go out and you're doing a job, um, you know, you should be able to accept an e-transfer. You should be able to accept credit card. You should be able to accept, you know, cash or a check or whatever it is. Take the money. Um, and a lot of challenges that people have with implementing something like a credit card system is, well, Bob, you know, that's three and a half percent, uh, going straight to the transaction fees. If my profits are getting diminished by three and a half percent, okay, then let's raise our prices, right? Three and a half percent to cover those fees. In fact, I think in most areas now and most, um, most merchant services, can actually have a tick box to say, do you want to add credit card processing fees to the client? Really? Now? It's as literally as, baked yeah. into the POS. It's, like it's, it can be legally baked into the, the POS in your setup. Huh. So I know for me, they've we've said no, um, but you could bake it in where it's like, no, every client who processes, we just add that process fee to their credit card. So by a minimum, we should be doing that. And here's why. Because we talked about this earlier, when we deliver a, a service or a product and we walk away without getting paid, the likelihood of us getting paid significantly drops and we lose the power of that relationship where if we can get paid by credit card, by a client paying us with their credit card, they're not having to use their own cash right now. They can put it on a card and then within 30 days, it's their problem. If they want to not pay for 30 days, put it on their credit card. They can deal with that. That is not our problem. Because what happens, we've got all of our materials coming in. We've got all of our payroll that we've likely paid in advance. So now all of our cash flow is going out in advance. And we're hoping at this point that we get paid after the fact. Like even better, guys, let's start getting deposits up front before we even start a job. Move the cash transaction time from behind and after the fact to before it even happens, at least as a portion of it, that will drastically impact your cash flow. Uh, most of these, most of these credit card processing softwares, and in, and in many cases, actual like a physical terminal, uh, these are free, right? Like they like the, the credit card company just want like they they want you using their system so they can take their whatever percent. So the actual the upfront cost is zero or next to nothing in most cases, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Limited, maybe a hundred dollars a month. You know, they probably have something as a rental of the, of the transaction equipment or yeah. something like that. Yeah. What else for cash flow management? Okay. This is, this is probably, this is a big one guys. Um, when I meet with clients on an annual basis and I'll say, Oh, you guys had a really great year. You know, you made a hundred thousand dollars this year. You've got a tax bill or whatever. Um, a lot of times they'll go, well, Bob, if I made a hundred thousand dollars, where's the money? And I'll tell you, it goes in two major ways. Okay. First one is stop paying cash for your vehicles, your equipment, uh, and stuff that is, is ongoing. Cause this is what happens. And I see it happen all the time. Us as a contractor business, we're starting to get some momentum. We're, we're making some sales. We're building our revenue. We're starting to see the cash go up in our bank account, which is awesome, right? Fantastic problems to have. We can help support that, but fantastic problem to have. And then all of a sudden you go, well, you know what? We need a new truck for the new crew that we're building out right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to pay $60,000, $60,000 out of our cash in our bank account to buy the new truck. Then what happens is we've got this $100,000 income. We've just spent $60,000. You've probably taken out a, a little bonus check or a withdrawal throughout the year. Uh, so you've drawn down on your cash. And then now you've got to uh, essentially pay your tax bill at the end of the year. And now you have payroll related to this new crew, crew while they're getting up and running. So you've gone from having you know, $70,000, $80,000 in your bank account, 50, 60 going out to this new vehicle, you know, 10 or so to yourself, pre-funding this new crew, getting successful. Now you've got a tax bill, you're out of money, right? This happens all the time, guys. Do not use your money, your working capital in your business to finance the purchase of assets. Let's use the bank's money. I'll give you an example. I, uh, I have a Ford F-150 and, uh, and I just bought it from my buddy who owns the local Ford dealership. And I went in there and he said, oh, okay, so how are you going to pay for it? And I said, financing, please. And he's like, oh, really? Oh, I, I was just kind of thinking you were going to write me a check. And I said, no, absolutely not. I'm smarter with my money than that. And he's like, oh, well, how, how long do you want to finance it for? And I said, do you still have the 108-month option? And he laughed. And he's like, oh, you're serious? And I'm like, 100%. You know why? I just got a $100,000 truck. And I pay $600 a month over 108 months. So how much is it costing me every month for the use of that truck? Pretty much nothing. It's not taking out of my cash flow. I can reinvest in my team. I can reinvest in my marketing, my professional development, whatever it is. But I've got cash resources, which is power in my business, mm -hmm. right? And I now have use of that vehicle. And I'm going to let that vehicle at $600 a month if we think of the new crew that we're building, that $600 a month goes towards a cost of running that crew. That crew is going to be up and running and generating revenue, and it's going to pay for the cost of that truck versus me giving up all my cash right out of the gate. So that's problem one is spending it on equipment. And you feel problem you feel that way. Sorry, before we get to problem two, you feel that yeah, yeah. way even, even at higher rates, even where we're at right now, it's still you're just like all day I would do that. You know, and maybe not all day, Benji, but... It's something that we have to look really closely at because truthfully, if I can have power in my business right now, and I'm going to go on a sidetrack here in a second, but if I can have the power in my business for cash to be able to reinvest when opportunities come up, I don't want to give that away for anything. Even if it's 7 or 8% right now, I would rather do that, build that into the cost of my vehicle over a you know 7 or 8 year period of time 
and keep that cash in my business because I know my rate of return on investing in my business is going to be higher than that interest rate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the challenges that I continue to see is that sort of shortfall of working capital in a business. Because right now, if you think of the challenges in the economy and some of the contractors and, and other businesses that are starting to struggle uh, in finding new work, we're the strong ones, right? The, the people who are listening to your podcast right now, these are the successful crew that are constantly looking at bettering themselves. This is the group of people that needs the cash resources because the other people are going to give up. And when they give up, we have the opportunity to capitalize on this great market share opportunity that like no other time, right? The recession is coming. I don't want to use the big R word, but I did. Uh, it's coming in here. And we've got this ability to capture market share and grow if we have the cash resources to do it. Because if we're buying the vehicles with cash and we have nothing in our bank account, when those opportunities arise, we have to watch them drive right past us. So super important. And I'm, I'm pretty passionate about, okay. you know, working capital in the business. Love it. Okay. Great, great little side side tangent. Um, what was the second thing when we go back to you saying, okay, one thing is don't yeah. buy assets with working capital. What was the second thing? Yeah. The second thing is stop taking all of the money out of the business. So when we, again, when we have our annual review with some of our clients and they go, Bob, where did the money go? Sometimes I go, mm, I got to look into this a little bit. Where did all the money go? Um, and typically the reason I go, I've got to look into this is because if you're asking me where the money went and I'm thinking it's you, I need to confirm that before I come back and go, no, actually, Benji, you, you took all the money out. Uh, so I, I usually go back and I give a breakdown of all the transfers that come out throughout the year from a business account to a business owner. And one of the challenges is as we continue to grow, we grow our lifestyle and the expectations, we increase our expenses, we buy nicer homes, nicer cars, we go out to dinner more frequently, we have nicer clothes or whatever that looks like. Um, that's a problem. Uh, it, it does choke out the cash flow or the cash resources in your business. And I've got a simple fix for you. So the simple fix is this, set up a fixed draw from your company account and don't stray from it. And it, it's gonna require a little bit of work. What you need to understand is what your personal budget looks like, what your lifestyle costs are. So if you go through and you say, here's my rent, here's my mortgage, property taxes, grocery bill, kids sports, you know, personal vehicle, whatever that looks like, come up with what that number is. Mm -hmm. Give yourself a little bit of a buffer and then take that out every single week so that you're funding that lifestyle, but hold to it. As the business becomes more successful, don't start taking lump sums of twenty, thirty thousand dollars out, because we then get back again to the end of the year and we go, man, we got a tax bill here, same problem, and we don't have the cash. We have the same problem. It's actually worse. At least on the first one, you're buying an asset for the business. In this instance, you're yeah. just it's just clothes and trips and. So, yeah, there's nothing to sell when yeah. it's personal consumables. You're like, oh, does somebody want my trip? Well, yeah. you can't sell it. At <laughs> least you're right. At least you can sell the vehicle back or get it refinanced later on. The fourth thing, we'll just hit this one quick because I want to get to this this really fun closing question, but uh, business structure. That's another sort of needle mover when it comes to financial health. What would you say there? Oh, man, this is this is like my passion topic because this is where I feel um, good advisors and good accountants, good uh, tax advisors come in and they earn their keep. And what I would say is when I look at a lot of the new prospects that come through our door, 
I'd say 90% of them have the wrong structure. And here's what I mean by that. So as a business owner, we have multiple options of how we can set things up. Um, you know, in Canada, you can be a sole proprietor, a partner, or a corporation. In the U.S., you can be a sole proprietor, a partner, you can be an LLC, uh, an S-corp, or a C-corp. So differences, but the concept is the same, where different structures have different tax rates. Individuals in Canada, you go up to 55% personal tax rate. In the U.S., we go up to about 50% personal tax rate. Similar there. Um, when we get into a corporation in Canada, it's 12.2%. In the U.S., depending on the state, it's somewhere, you know, 18 to 25%. So it's a little bit higher business tax. But here's what we need to know in this. Your structure needs to change when you start paying more tax than those fixed corporate level tax rates. So in the U.S., if you're paying more than 18%, you likely have to review your structure and see if there's a better way. In Canada, if you're paying more than 12.2, there's likely a better way. That's the foundational part of it. But then you've got the secondary part where when we are paying those tax rates, do we have the right sophisticated structure beyond just taxes to protect and preserve our assets? Because now we're building wealth, we're building a company that's worth something. In Canada, you know, if you've got a, a business that's going to be able to be sold and you've got surplus cash, you need a family trust in place, likely, and a holding company so that you can pull all of your cash resources out of your business and protect it. You know, let's say we're a builder, developer, and we're building a building. And uh, the building is done, but later on, something happens in the building and there's a massive lawsuit. What happens if we're not covered by insurance for an element of that um, or, or maybe even all of it? Everything we've worked for in our business, all of our surplus cash, grass. all of our assets on the line, right? Right. Same in the United States. So we need to look at this structure and say, how do we protect and preserve those assets, specifically cash and investments? How do we protect those, get them out of there? And it also, by having that in place, we're more likely to be able to sell our business with greater tax efficiency down the road too. So there's a few areas to give you, but structure is so very important. Um, just a quick side note, I, I had the opportunity to work with Tony Robbins for for three or four years. Um, at his How business so? What, what were you doing for him? Yeah, so um, he, at his business mastery events, we were one of his global accounting advisors partners. Huh. So while we were there, we were the Canadian. Um, we now obviously serve all of North America, but we were his Canadian partner, his exclusive Canadian partner, which, which was pretty awesome. And in there, we would go through and review all of the attendees, um, their financial statements, tax returns. And a staggering statistic was that 92% of all attendees were paying more tax than they legally had to. And we were reviewing these for free. And the reason that Tony brought us in was to be like, can you solve this problem for these attendees and help them get more money back? And we were, right? So back to, you know, structure and the importance of it, predominantly, there were two areas where people were paying too much tax, wrong structure, and wrong compensation strategy, right? So whether it's salaries or dividend distributions, there's an op optimal way and business owners are getting this wrong and, and paying, you know, sometimes it's $6,500. Sometimes it's hundreds of thousands of dollars for having this done the wrong way. There's a right way to do it. 
Um, that's an unbelievable statistic. You say 92% of people 92%. are paying more than they need to. Um, really quick, like on the on this note, like it's it's so unbelievably critical, but it also needs to be said, like this whole conversation and 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 approach and sort of strategy behind business structure, tax efficiency, all this stuff. It is its own domain. Like it's not. I don't think it's reasonable for a business owner, unless you're like savant level, and maybe if you're super senior and sophisticated, you learn over the years. But for most of our listeners, it's fair to say most of them are gonna like have a sort of a pixelated image. Like they get roughly what you're saying, but they wouldn't have the finer details, and it's probably not worth their time to go learn them themselves. So my question is. Like at a baseline, like is it expensive and is it super time consuming to to get connected with with a true expert in this and 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 set themselves up for success early? So at a minimum, Benji, I would say it's it's costly to not do it. Um, but let's put it this way: if you were to come and talk with our team, for example, and we were to do a tax assessment for you. We wouldn't charge for a tax assessment to say this is your current structure and your setup. We would only charge you to fix it if it needed fixing. So at a minimum level, you know, that 92% creates anxiety with all the listeners. And I know it does. And I'm sorry, sorry, not sorry, uh, because we want to we want to eliminate that. Right. Um, but that creates a little bit of anxiety to go, wait, is that me? Or am I really one of the 8% that's in a really good spot? Uh, the idea is, why don't we just get it checked and reviewed? And if it does need to be fixed, good thing we're doing it now because the longer you wait to fix it, the more costly it's going to be. Yeah. And I would say professional services wise, to have a professional services team supporting you uh, along your journey so that you can focus on doing your business and building your business, your sales, building your team, and know that you can rely on the back end to be well taken care of. You know, I think it's one of those we can sleep better at night knowing that we're supported by a team of experts. Okay. I got a really fun thought experiment for you. Okay. Okay. You're, you're Can't an wait. investor. You have to put your investor hat on, but yeah. there's this crazy weird glitch in the matrix in the universe and uh, the stock market you can no longer invest in crypto. You can no longer invest in real estate is closed off. There's, there's actually no assets available for you to, you know, put your cash and get a return on it. There's, there's nothing available except for blue collar businesses like the ones we're talking about. That's the only asset class that you can buy. So given those constraints and you want to make, you want to get as much, you want to have those little dollars of yours work as hard as they possibly can for you. What are you looking for in the businesses that you have to invest in in this thought experiment? What are like the critical things you're like, I'm going to buy that one, but not this one? Well, first off, thanks for acknowledging that I have little dollars. Um, you know, I feel like we don't know each other well enough yet to recognize that, but it's like there's a big pain point. But, I, I, I meant, I meant um, like little, 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 little workers, <laughs> not, not, not little dollars. This, sorry, this mass sums. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, at first, you were painting that as a really dark picture, right? But then, then you opened up the light where there's one like, pathway. Yes, yeah, we we can invest in in the contractors uh, space, which is amazing because I know it so well. So it's like, oh, as long as I have that opportunity, Benji, you're good. Uh, I'm happy with this. Yeah. So as an investor, I would look at a couple things, and I did. You know, some of this is a benchmark that I learned with uh, with working with Tony Robbins as well is that I would be looking at a business that 
has probably hit a certain level of scale and revenue. So if you are a business owner right now and you're wanting to uh, eventually sell, you probably want to get it to a certain element of growth. And what I would say is I would be looking at companies who want to reinvest in growth, not not ones that are going to just stay status quo um, and pull all the cash flow out and live a, a normal life. I want those that are continuing to reinvest in the business. Two, I want to make sure that there's an element of profitability in here. So I would look at gross profit margin because a lot of contractors, I'll tell you the range, right? We do, we probably work with, you know, two to 300 different contracting businesses across North America. And the range for gross profit margins is fairly substantial, right? So the top contractors that we work with are somewhere around the 40% gross profit, Right. So again, thinking of that revenue minus cost of deliverables, 40%, which is amazing. In what but industries? Lo- like are you talking cons- um, like, like home construction? Yeah we, yeah, we would say home construction, electrical, plumbing, um, landscaping. Uh, really, any okay. anyone has the ability to get that level. Totally. Right. We've seen but even we higher. Have, I mean, it's, it's possible to go even higher too. Totally. And, yeah. and that's where I'll, I'll put my top class where I'll say the A plus percenters are at that 40. I If I had to, and this was the only way that I could have money, I would look at who's making that margin and I would be investing and I'd be going all in with those guys without question, right? Now there's others that have built up a substantial business and maybe have uh, more fixed price with government contracts and whatnot where it becomes a little bit harder to make that level of margin, but you guys are doing volume work. So that's good too, as long as there's consistency. So I would drop all the way down to the bottom line and say, if my bottom line net income was 20% or higher than my revenue, right? So if we've got you know a million dollars in revenue, uh, 10% is a hundred thousand. So 200,000 plus, right? 20% net income. I would be looking at those two. Those are businesses that know how to make profit, um, gross profit, whether it's based on high margins or high volume, and they've got really good fixed cost control to allow us to be at 20%. So those are financially responsible businesses that would be exciting to me. How important do you think, uh, how important do you think reputation, Google star rating, NPS score, sort of these client satisfaction metrics are too? Yeah, hundred percent. So we, we did an acquisition a couple years ago and one of the elements, yeah, to client satisfaction is huge. Um, we went through and we said we wanted to review all of the net promoter score and client satisfaction results for the past three years. Right. Why would we want to do that? Well, we want to do that so that we can see some of the consistent challenges that the business is facing. Um, some of the feedback, you know, is the quality bad, right? Is the turnaround time terrible? Do people feel like they're paying too much for what they're getting in return? Like these are... These are bad signs. But if you have a large group that are promoters in the nine or 10 scale, where it's like, oh man, we are so happy. We're repeat customers. Um, you know, the the uh, service has always been great. The relationships have been awesome, you know, on time. If I'm getting that sort of feedback, that's the type of business that I want to uh, jump into as well. So I want to maybe stay away from the ones that, you know, they never showed up. Uh, they took my deposit and canceled my project. It took three years, you know, the disorganized sort of business that has challenging future reputation. 
Absolutely. That would be something it's I'd want to look at. It's a big hole to climb out of. Um, 100%. What? Okay. What should... Okay. Last question here. It's 2024. Market is... Like, it's pretty weird, man. Like, things in the States, right, as we speak, this is all subject to change, uh, doing sort of surprisingly <laughs> well. This whole notion of a soft landing seems plausible. Some people would say it's even likely. I was talking about this the other day on our predictions episode. Things north of the border, on the other hand kind of weird things could be going pear-shaped here again i'm not a crystal i don't have a crystal ball you're not an economist i'm not going to pretend to to predict what's going to happen but given what you're seeing in the broader market interest rates mortgage renewals um inflation we look at supply chain stuff we look at like just what's going on out there in the market and you think of these little businesses operating in their some of them aren't even little operating in their in their in their local market growing trying to do the right thing for their stakeholders what should find what is like one single thing financially prudent contractors should be focused on this year yeah and i would say cash reserves um and here's how we maybe do that so we already talked about not buying the assets with our cash resources we talked about not pulling out substantial amounts here, here's something related to mortgage rates and mortgages for everybody, right? Whether you're a business owner or not, um, when the interest rates have gone up, you've got two opportunities for a mortgage. You've got a fixed rate or a variable rate, right? And for many of you who are listening, you probably play in the variable rate market because you probably get a shorter term interest rate break and we're all a little bit crazy with the risk that we like in our lives so you know there's an element of that i'm guessing um, a majority of people are in in variable rate mortgages so what happens is when the interest rates go up on those fixed mortgages nothing changes but on all the variable rates we continue to go up as the rates going up now what happens on our mortgages and and guys this could be mortgage of your house, or this could be all of your vehicles in your fleet as well, or your heavy value kind. equipment, whatever, whatever it is, as that variable rate goes up, it's starting to increase the interest amount that is part of your blended payment. Right. So let's say, for example, you've got a mortgage payment, it's $2,000. As the variable rate goes up, if you've got a fixed payment, that payment hasn't been changing, but just the interest component of that payment has been going up. And then there was what they called the inflection point where the the interest rate increases increased so much that they had to change the payments because the interest was more than what the payments were on a monthly basis. Now, the way that the banks have allowed structured this for individuals is that they've extended the period of time Correct. that people could pay their mortgage. So if you had 18 years left, they make they'd it go, 30. okay, well, Bob, we're going to make it 25 yeah. and you're going to keep your payment the same. No problem. Right. It, Which it, has been really good. They, they give them, the banks give them fancy names and they sort of make a product around it. But it's essentially what you're doing is kicking the can down the road. We're kicking the can down the road. Now, if we go back to the importance of cash and the importance of cash in our business is because of the opportunity that we could capitalize on and guys, it's going to be there. We, we need to be ready to double down on the opportunity that's going to be here because every time there's some sort of recession or an economic struggle, people are, are winding down, they're getting out. You know, the individuals who are ready to retire and move on, they're going, well, now's probably as good a time as any because I don't want to have to work hard on the other side of this, right? So there, there is opportunity that's coming. So if we're looking at our, our mortgage and we're looking at our, 
our assets in our business, we could also take a very similar proactive approach and say, listen, what we want to do is we want to minimize our monthly outflow right now. We might want to refinance our assets over a longer period of time. So go back to those, those individual business owners. And I know you're on here and you're listening. You've bought your vehicle with cash and you're going, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. You can now go back out and finance that asset and put that cash back into your business. So just know that the banks love tangible assets. They will give you money if they can secure against it, including your home. You know, home equity lines of credit are awesome. You don't have to pay interest on it unless you use it. So like looking at those things, if home values are going down, now's a good time to make sure that we lock in our home equity at a higher value. So just increasing our safety net because opportunity is here, it's coming. And recession shouldn't be something where we get scared. We just want to make sure we're properly planned. We have the cash resources, or I call the safety net, and we're ready to capitalize on the opportunity that's on the other side. That's the idea, that you, you, you are holding on to those dollars so that you can deploy them when, it, when a really interesting acquisition comes across your desk, when a really interesting building you know, you, you catches your eye and you're essentially getting it at a discount compared to where you would have two or three years ago. It's, it's, it's about these strategic moves that you want to, it's not just so you can hoard, it's so you can do something with, and this environment often provides those, those opportunities more than when things are going to the moon. Exactly. And it, and it gives us that power to be able to make those decisions. Right. Um, you know, I've got one particular electrical contractor, um, in the Toronto area and um, very successful, high-performance business. And they've been approached in the last six months by three like sole owner electrical contracting companies that are like, man, it's getting hard out there. You know, the unions are pushing hard for employees with higher wages. You know, it's becoming really hard to compete. Can we come work with you? And so essentially, these smaller businesses, and maybe, you know, the guys are in their 50s or 60s, they're going, yeah, I just don't see a future of this in the next five years. I'd rather just go work, you know, 50 hours a week or 40 hours a week and not have to worry and be have the stress of being a business owner. And this electrical contracting company is bringing these guys in, all of their clientele, past and current, and they're just paying a salary for somebody that they want to have on their team anyway. Mm -hmm. So, but sometimes that comes with, you know, being able to finance the new vehicle or, you know, the new equipment or whatever that looks like. And if you don't have the cash resources to be able to put down the down, the, the down payment related to that, or to fund the short-term um, investment of this staff, you know, you miss out on those types of opportunities and those opportunities are happening. I see it every single day right now. So be ready, have your, have your eyes open for it, but also start the conversations, you know, contractors be aware that, you know, individuals who maybe you're competing with or who are in your space, people are struggling and they're open to conversations about maybe joining your team or, you know, transitioning their business over to you. And some of those people have a really large network that we as progressive uh, business owners can jump on and start marketing towards and start building up some serious future growth related to. So it is happening. We're seeing it. It's just, let's be ready for it. I love it. Um, Tell us about what you're up to with with Gavro, your team, your specializations. I mean, uh, just so uh, 
I mean, I think we can say this now. By the time by the time this episode releases, this this will be sort of public news. But Breakthrough Academy is is partnering with Bob and his team. Uh, we're super excited about it. I think I think it's important um, that you just kind of share a little bit about what you guys are up to over there. Yeah, for sure. And thanks thanks for that opportunity. And we're we're super excited uh, to work with Breakthrough. You know, and and just a quick plug at Breakthrough. Uh, I can tell you that the due diligence that we've gone through in creating this partnership has been an extreme amount of information on both sides because we both pride ourselves so much in supporting this space. And it's super impressive um, at how you guys approach this market and contractors and supporting them and, and the programs you guys have in place. So we are very proud to be partnering with you guys. Um, a little bit about us. Um, we serve the North American contractor market. And so Canada, the United States, and we have a team of 140 plus bookkeepers. Uh, we have about 20 CPAs that are on the team. Uh, we have a legal department that's specifically related to Canadian contractors. Um, and even if we tied it down even more, it'd be Ontario based where we can support real estate purchases. Um, we can support contracts um, and, and stuff like that across any market. But um, we have a legal team that's in there as well. We do migration services, which helps people go from one software program to another. Uh, and we have a tax team. So our tax team essentially is a sophisticated group of experts and specialists who know this space to say, how can we position contractors to be the most successful, not only tax efficient in their business now, but plan out what that tax efficiency could look like in the future? How do we protect their wealth and how do we help them exponentially grow uh, their resources and maybe exit tax efficiently as well. So we've got a team of a hundred, uh, again, supporting that entire North American market. We love this space. Uh, we work with hundreds of contractors. Uh, so it's something we know extremely well and our goal with breakthrough, um, and our partnership is to make sure that we're bringing financial clarity to their members so that all of the members can have the confidence to make informed decisions also support the coaches in breakthrough because, you know, one of the challenges that we've always seen um, in coaching businesses across the board, because we work with a, a bunch of coaching businesses as well, is that the coaches are so good at supporting businesses, but if they don't have good information or good data, it becomes more challenging to be able to support that business market. And so we want to create that financial confidence for the coaches to push it across the line too. And I really think it's going to be, it's a partnership that I'm really excited about. Yeah, so are we, man. And uh, we went way over time today. I really appreciate you being generous with with your schedule and doing this. This is a, a really phenomenal episode. We will have to have you back uh, at some point later this year to talk about, oh, there's like 18 different sort of potential podcasts that spin off of the one that we just did. We could get into... We could get into migrations. We could get into, you know, uh, like optimized cash flow systems. We could get into about a billion other things. So there's a whole uh, there's a whole web of podcast ideas that we're gonna have to cross off the list eventually. Uh, thank you so much for being here today, Bob. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Benji. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.